well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad to be with you on this Monday, October the 3rd. I cannot believe it's already October here. Uh, And very pleased to have with us on today's program... Uh, one of the folks with Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership, uh, Dr. Robert B. Young, uh, is going to be with us here in just a matter of moments. We're going to talk about this new issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association, which is sort of a, uh, a special issue given over to the idea of uh, gun violence as a public health issue. What does that mean exactly? Uh because I got to tell you, looking at some of the articles that are included in this most recent edition of the Journal of American Medical Association, it sure seems like uh, looking at gun violence through a public health lens ends up uh, in the same place that uh, looking at, quote unquote, gun violence through a gun control lens does, right? All kinds of restrictions on legal law abiding gun owners and not nearly as much attention paid to violent criminals themselves. Not, not, not entirely. There are some articles in the uh, most recent edition of the Journal of the American Medical Association that talks about things like community violence intervention programs, things that are uh, non-law enforcement uh, in nature. But having said that, there's also, you know, a lot of calls for things like universal background checks, gun licensing for gun owners, gun licensing for carrying firearms, restrictive licensing uh, for carrying firearms and things of that nature. So let's talk about the state of uh, medicine Uh, and the gun control debate with uh, our friend uh, Dr. Robert Young, again with the Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. Take a look and a listen. Dr. Young, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's good talking with you today. Very glad to be with you again, Cam. And, you know, listen, I don't always seek out second opinions from uh, medical professionals, but when the Journal of the American Medical Association basically devotes an entire issue uh, to the idea of uh, fighting gun violence through a public health model that ends up looking a lot like what the gun control lobby is talking about. Um, I, I did want to reach out for a second opinion with Doctors for Responsible Gun Owners, our gun ownership. And and I, I want to get your take, first of all, on this uh, latest issue of JAMA, because, I mean, you've seen this before. This is nothing new. We see this uh, year after year, month after month individual papers week after week after week. So so what is it about? Is there anything new or, or noteworthy, I guess, uh, in this latest issue of JAMA, or is it the same stale, tired, anti-gun talking points? It's, it's the same. And uh, when we were chatting about uh, me uh, explaining some of this uh, to you and your viewers, I hadn't really looked at it much because I, I know what kind of thing is in this stuff. So I, I will tell you that I read through it so that you and your viewers need not. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> because, <laughs> because it is it's the same, only more. And, and sometimes I will say the more is amusing to me. Uh, it's it's unfortunate because it's an enormous waste of resources in in our profession for science uh, at large. But these people just can't stop imagining that somehow because they're doctors, they are going to be able to solve the problem of quote gun violence. 
Uh, you and I and, and most of the people listening to us right now know what the answers are. Um, my field doesn't want to pay any attention to criminologists, to economists, to sociologists. They're coming into this as if this is a new a new area of research to invest in. And uh, I will say investment is, I think, really at the bottom of this. They want to jump on this bandwagon and have the government uh, siphon off millions and millions of dollars to uh, clinical researchers, and which I'm not sure what the difference is with public health researchers, but those uh, those vocational segments, uh, so that they can uh, basically keep reinventing the wheel over and over, talk to each other, tell each other what a great job you're doing, and call for more research. Because it takes more money uh, for more research uh, by us, by the way, not not by somebody else. Right. That's the theme of this. There are no answers here. Um, it's it's mostly people talking to each other, saying, "Yes, we we can do this. Jump on it." Um, and we are doing such a magnificent job of saying that that we should do this and we should jump on it. There, there is a yeah, and I, I didn't read through um, a lot of the journals, but I, I or a lot of the articles, but I did peruse some of them, and it does seem like there's a lot of that circular logic that you're talking about here, right? Uh, we need more research. We can uh, find the answers, uh, and until we find the answers, we have to do more research, and of course, that means more government funding, uh, which is a huge part of it. Yeah. But it, it, it does seem to be like one of the contradictions that I have picked up on, at least I think it's a contradiction. I'm very curious to get your opinion about this. The idea that, you know, when we look at, for instance, um, uh, drug use and overdoses from a public health lens, we talk a lot about harm reduction, right? Mm. Uh, we're never going to be able to eradicate the supply of fentanyl. Certainly doctors can't do that. So we need things like Narcan. We need to work on, you know, right. saving people, uh, bringing them back from overdoses. But when it comes to gun ownership, it seems like that harm reduction model gets thrown out the window, and instead it's an abstinence policy, right? Don't let anybody near a gun. Don't let anybody talk about guns. Don't let anybody touch a gun. There's nothing in there about providing an education or training for gun owners, uh, which to me seems to be the primary step if you're actually looking at reducing gun violence through a public health lens of harm reduction. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. And uh, I wish for I wish more people in my profession were thinking that way. The number one thing to do to reduce harm from guns, which comes in a lot of varieties, you know, we know it's not a unitary gun violence problem, is to teach kids growing up about guns, how they work, how if if you have to, later on in adolescence maybe, how to touch them, how to handle them, because kids don't. Get the adult, but the eagle uh, advice. Um, all kids should have that because all kids, at some point in their through their lives, are going to encounter guns, and they may or may not encounter them with a responsible owner uh, there to make sure it's safe. Uh, most of us, I think, want our kids to learn to swim, just in case they fall over that uh, canoe thwart without a life jacket. You know, um, sex education is a, a normal thing in schools. I think most of us probably are just as glad, as long as it's uh, given right and respectfully, 
and, and with an understanding that uh, sex is not something that should be done casually, at least. Um, there are some very important things kids need to learn growing up because it is going, they are going to be part of their world. And this is a really important thing because it can kill them. So why don't you inoculate them against that? Absolutely. And I would, I would say even for adults, I mean, you look at some of the cities with the highest violent crime rates right now, you know, Philadelphia, Chicago, even in Washington, D.C., New York, uh, Los Angeles, uh, maybe not Los Angeles to a, a, a the greatest extent, but uh, San Francisco, a lot of these cities that have, you know, either high crime rates or crime rates that are going up right now, they don't have any ranges. They made it impossible for people to actually, uh, for adults to go and get a training and education. Meanwhile, you've got 14-year-old kids who are illegally getting guns on the street. They're, you know, maybe maybe their firearms training is shooting at a uh, trash can in an alley, or maybe it's shooting at another human being. Um, and it seems to me like not only do we need that education and training around responsible gun ownership, but something that I didn't see mentioned anywhere in the Journal of the American Medical Association was morality was ethics, was talking to, you know, teaching kids the value of life, teaching young adults the value of life, including their own, which, um, I, I, again, I don't that That's probably not necessarily in the lane of the medical community. But to me, that's a pretty important thing when we're trying to fight, quote unquote, gun violence. Well, you know, that's in everyone's lane, morality and doing right by other people. And I think I, I, I don't want to be too discrediting. I'm I'm sure that all of these people uh, in my profession who think wrongly that getting rid of guns is the best answer are coming from the point of view where they do want, they do want to save lives and they do want people to do the right things. They happen to be wrong about what the right thing is. That's the problem with them. And they, they have blinders on about it. You know, they just can't see outside that narrow, narrow lane, uh, about, oh, shoot a gun. But that goes off and kills someone. Obviously, the answer is no guns. That's it. That's they, for them. That's morality. I'll, I'll give you an example of their morality here in one of these articles. Violence in the carceral state. Now, when you see a, a uh, title like that, you know what you're going to see in the body of the report. The carceral state. It's not like, yeah, we need to lock up people who are bad and criminals. No, it's a it's a whole state problem of too much carceral incarceration, right? Gun violence is a symptom of a system that continues to support the widening of the wealth gap, the implicit prejudice found in economic opportunity, structural racism, and the reinforcing of a community's distrust of the established institutions, such as the police. That's their morality. And yeah. Everybody who's jumped aboard the new godless religion of, of progressive ethics. Fiction in terms, I know. I, I, well, see, that's the thing. I, I confess, I, I, you know, listen, uh, I, I, as a conservatarian, I'm all in favor of uh, reducing the number of laws on the books, but I'm puzzled. How on the one hand, you can com complain about the carceral state and, and in the same breath advocate for 
criminalizing the right to keep and bear arms because it seems to me like those two things are entirely at odds with each other. Well, you know, inconsistency is the uh, <laughs> is the what of uh, the, the hobgoblin of little minds, right? Hobgoblin of little minds, <laughs> and we see it in action right now. Yes. Yeah, I I guess I'm just too pea-brained to get uh, what what it is here. This uh, you know the the how we how we can you know impose new gun control laws while fighting the carceral state. I don't get it. No, you're not the ours are not the little minds. The the point of raising that great quote is that's about them. Yeah. 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 So do you see then a? I mean, I, I'm not alone then in seeing that contradiction in. Oh, we've got, you know, this this yeah, school to prison pipeline. We've got the carceral state. Hey, let's make it a felony to sell a gun to your friend without putting him through a background check first. I mean, to me, like those two things just don't go together. Yeah. Well, you know, in New York right now, I, I'll commit a felony. I, I, I would I would necessarily commit a felony basically by going anywhere with my gun. Yeah. You know, any private business that hasn't signed. Well. My parking lot that I have to park with in downtown Rochester, not the greatest place, but I go down there to treat addicts. I want to help these people. Uh, I can't, I can't drive, I can't carry my gun to work anymore and leave it in the car because it's a private facility, the parking lot. They haven't posted it yet. And mm -hmm. if I leave it in my car, I can't just pop it in a, a safe. I have to unload it, put the empty gun in one locking compartment. And the ammunition in another locked apartment. That's going to do me a lot of good if I'm racing from my car <laughs> to grab it to defend myself. Right. Oh, so, yes. There's yes. In it, yeah. Yes to you. <laughs> uh, so I, I have to ask because, you know, we had uh, last week uh, Dr. Mark Hamill. Oh. On the program, talking about uh, his new research paper, uh, Dr. Hamill, I believe, is also a part of Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership. Yes, he is. We're very proud of so, what so, he, his group are doing. Uh, and and it's, I mean, look, clearly it's needed uh, because, again, as you say, the medical establishment, there are plenty of physicians who own firearms. I think there are plenty of physicians who are Second Amendment supporters. Oh, yeah. But as you say, the, the, the bulk of the medical establishment has got its thumb on the scales in favor of more gun control. Right. Um, has it gotten better or has it gotten better or worse over the past few years, Dr. Young, in terms of the bias in, in your profession? Well, the the leadership is the same or worse. Now I will I will say they're not talking as they did in the beginning around nineteen ninety about they're not saying words like you know, I hate guns, uh if I had my way they'd all be gone. People who use who uh Carry guns or evil. I mean, that's that was the kind of talk going around when this started, and that was an era in which there was no data. Period. It was pure prejudice, and we've documented that uh, at the RGO. Found it was there. It um, so I guess I guess I would say it's gotten better in terms of the way they talk about it. Uh, it's interesting that over all those years they haven't been able to make any progress in proving anything. <laughs> um, now, here, here's an example of what's better in uh, firearms, suicide, and approaches for prevention. Number one, they're talking about, they're talking about, uh, yeah, I'll take it back. When it comes to suicide and they talk about prevention, they're talking about getting guns away from people. And uh, I, I've got a whole spiel on red flag laws. 
they don't help anybody. They are gun confiscation uh, opportunities. But they do, they phrase it this way now, and they recognize this fact at least. Although patients are generally accepting of healthcare-based firearm interventions, that's not true. Sorry, that part's not true. Some are reluctant to discuss firearms with clinicians. And some clinicians may harbor and display biases against firearm ownership that negatively affect these discussions. Those two parts are true, and I think it's amazing to see uh, uh, the establishment actually recognize those facts. That, that may be a tiny glimmer of uh, light, but they might actually want to start working with their patients instead of dictate uh, their lives to them. Yeah, that's, I will. That's the only glimmer I saw. <laughs> this whole, this whole uh, journal, believe me. Yeah. And, and I, I believe that that article was written by Dr. Marion Betts. I'm, I, I, I believe. That's right. That's right. And I've had the chance to talk with Dr. Betts before, and 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 you know, again, I find her approach to be pretty interesting because rather than out being out there saying we need more red flag laws. In Colorado, she's working with gun store owners. She's working with fire instructors on a network of voluntary places where if, if I, as a gun owner, uh, if I'm like, you know, one of my kids are going through a mental health crisis or heck, even if I'm going on vacation for a week or two and I don't want to leave my guns unsecured uh, in my house, she's working with, you know, again, with gun owners to come up with a, with voluntary places where I can go and I can temporarily store my firearms yeah. without getting law enforcement involved. Those types of approaches, I, I think, actually are, are useful and are of some benefit. And you're right. That was sort of the one glimmer of, of hope in that journal that I saw was that piece by Dr. Betts, because I've spoken to her. And, and while she might be in favor of you know new gun control laws, she at least understands that the more you talk about putting new laws in place, the more gun owners' backs get up. And if you're actually trying to save lives, if you're trying to reduce suicide, whether it's by firearm or any other means, but you're trying to reduce suicide among gun owners, well, you want them to listen. You want them to have a conversation. You want to actually approach them as equals because they're, you know, we are equals here to the medical community when it comes to our lives and the things that we care about. Right. So I at least thought that was a slightly different approach. I agree. <sighs> I agree. That's uh, and that's that is a direction that the gun community is going in simultaneously. Uh, holdmyguns.org mm -hmm. is doing exactly that and trying to systematize it on a broader basis. And there are a couple of other places, New Hampshire uh, and NSSF actually have promoted such ideas. Um, and that's the way to help people, educate and offer opportunities to be helped. So kudos to her and in doing that, with whether or not she's connected to Hold My Guns, I don't care. As, as long as these things can happen in the right way. Yeah, and now getting back to our Dr. Hamill, who uh, twice now he's done yeoman's work uh, in with rigorous data analysis that the gun community does, the gun rights. Why am I why am I favoring them this way? <laughs> Anti-gun prohibitionists um, uh, just just don't do. They'll find something superficial and say, oh, well, because this is correlated, that's a problem. So he's answered this question about um, posed in this article about state firearms laws and firearm-related mortality and morbidity. He answered that question in 2018. 
and a paper that was just as rigorous, just as broad-based, state by state, drilling down uh, to the question of how firearm laws affect morbidity to mortality from shootings. And his paper confirms once and for all, four years ago, that you cannot prove there's a relationship. Period. And yet they're still they're still of course saying, well we need to research this, right? No. Uh we we don't know the answer. We need money. We have to research it. We have the answers. Uh we in the objective world have the answers already. There's a lot of good people have been giving them to us. But as you say, Dr. Young, and, we'll, and I will have to leave it here, um, you know, the, the, the quest for funding uh, is real, right? I mean, this is job security for researchers, even if it leads to some pretty silly studies. I mean, you talked about a great piece by uh, Dr. Hamill, but before you and I were talking on the air, was this also in the most recent uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, this yeah, particular study? Yeah, we told, yeah. yeah. And what is, what's this study all about? Can I share that study? Yes, please. This is, this is so rich. Um, it, this is the kind of work that my profession does to my shame. We all know that um, exercise is good for you, all right? Every, believe me, everyone should exercise more than I do. That's that's a fact. And it, it's healthy. It's healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, for your relationships, everything. Well, thank God someone studied this aspect. Um, and this is in a, an update on clinical trials of all sorts of things and many good things, it turns out that putting standing desks in offices lead, actually leads to workers sitting less. <laughs> I, wow, that yeah. is a stunner, isn't it? And that is somebody, a... somebody spent a lot of money for this 12-month trial involving 756 <laughs> office workers in England That is great. Well, that's some groundbreaking research right there. I tell they you, what would we money. have done without that? They want more money to do more of that. Yeah. Well, they, listen, the Dr. Amendment was on target, believe me. <laughs> Dr. Young, listen, I can't thank you enough for uh, for coming on the program. It's always so good talking with you. If folks want more information about Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership, uh, where can they find you all? DRGO.us. Uh, we welcome anyone interested. This is not just for doctors. We also can uh, take a stab at connecting you to a Second Amendment uh, sympathetic doctor, too. Uh, and a lot of people are interested in that. Ken. Oh, I bet they are. Absolutely. Well, listen, we'll be talking again very soon, I am sure. But uh, thank you again for your time today. It's always good seeing you. I appreciate Dr. Young being with us on the program, and uh, I am looking forward to having him and other members of Doctors for Responsible Gun Ownership on the uh, program here in the near future. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Let's start there. A little bit of a, a family affair in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where police say a 12-year-old and his uncle are now facing armed robbery charges after a string of crimes in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yep. Uh, apparently, uh, 43-year-old Jason Roper and his uh, 12-year-old nephew now facing multiple charges. Roper facing armed robbery, child abuse, tampering with evidence, and other charges. And the boy charged with the armed robbery and conspiracy. 
According to police, a roper robbed at least three stores while his nephew robbed at least two of them and tried to rob a third before uh, an Albuquerque uh, a, a tip led detectives to the uh, uncle and nephew. Court records show the uh, child, one of uh, four siblings, has been in the middle of a uh, custody dispute between his parents. Uh, the uh, mom alleges his dad has a drug problem. The uh, dad arrested on September the 1st for a probation violation after failing a drug test for fentanyl and methamphetamine. So clearly this 12-year-old doesn't have the most stable home environment. His uncle, meanwhile, has spent uh, much of the past 20 years in prison. He was sentenced in 2000 to more than 11 years in state prison after pleading guilty in a shooting that injured two high schoolers. And then in 2010, when Roper was out, after serving not quite 11 years of that 11-year sentence, he was sentenced to more than 11 years in federal prison for robbing an Albuquerque bank. He was released again in 2020. uh, But since then, according to court records, he has sort of shuttled back and forth between federal prison and supervised release for violations of his probation. He was uh, released to supervised probation uh, earlier this year, but soon uh, violated conditions on September the 12th when he tested positive for methamphetamine. Police say at that point, however, the armed robberies had already been going on for more than a month. Seems to me that uh, despite the lengthy amount of time that uh, Jason Roper has spent in prison over the past two decades, he seems to have a real issue with staying on the right side of the law once he's released. Which begs the question, why does he keep getting out on probation? Uh, but that's a question, I guess, for the uh, next judge to uh, deal with Mr. Roper to answer. Today's Armed citizen story uh, from, where was this? What state was this from? Uh, oh, uh, Ohio. Uh, Cleves, Ohio, in Hamilton County. And it's a uh, rare self-defense story that involves the use of a knife and not a firearm. We, we're not anti-knife here on uh, Cam and Company, by the way. Doug Ritter from uh, Knife Rights, actually a great guy. We, we like talking about uh, knives at Bearing Arms. But in this particular case, uh, it was a stabbing that police say was actually in self-defense. Uh, 42-year-old Ron Sipple, 19-year-old Cody Otto have both been charged with aggravated robbery. They're accused of forcing their way into a home in Cleves, Ohio on uh, Saturday, excuse me, Sunday, uh, about 11.20 in the morning. Uh, according to police, after the pair entered the home, the homeowner ended up stabbing the 19-year-old, and then the 42-year-old Sipple sustained minor injuries when he attacked the homeowner, who had just stabbed Otto in self-defense. After deputies arrived on scene after the stabbing report, uh, the two intruders were transported to an area hospital for their injuries. Again, police say that the uh, homeowner was acting in self-defense when he used a knife to defend himself against the two intruders. We'll see if we can get any more details about this case in the uh, days ahead. But, uh, you know, listen, I'm always an advocate for uh, armed self-defense. I think a, a firearm is generally... Uh, a more effective self-defense tool than a knife. But you know what? When you got strangers in your home, you work with what you got. And in this case, the uh, homeowner was able to protect himself uh, with a knife inside of his Ohio home. Uh, Finally today, our good deed of the day from Dacula, Georgia, where uh, neighbors were in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to save a family. Unfortunately, the home itself uh, was a uh, loss. 
but there was no loss of life, and that is the most important thing. According to Fox 5 in Atlanta, a a doorbell camera was rolling uh, as a a knock on the door uh, started that uh, life-saving rescue as a fire burned on the front porch of a uh, home. Uh, Michaela Adams uh, lives at the home. She wasn't there Saturday night, but she was able to watch what was going on from her phone. She said, at first I thought it was a home invasion. But then I heard him say fire, and then I looked over to the side of the video feed, and I could see a glowing orb that looked like fire. Here's the uh, ring image of one of the uh, neighbors trying to get in that front door, not again to uh, rob or assault the folks inside, but to get them out. Michaela Adams says the family's not been able to thank the neighbors yet, but they are grateful. Uh, The fire was put out within 20 minutes once firefighters arrived. Uh, but again, already a lot of damage. Michaela Adams says the pictures we had lying in the wall, uh, the pictures themselves are ruined. You can see the shadows where they used to be on the wall, but the pictures are gone. Uh, her grandfather treated at a local hospital for smoke inhalation, uh, but is expected to recover. Uh, investigators say the fire may have been caused by an electrical issue. The family apparently had another electrical fire in the home just in the past couple of years. Uh, Michaela Adams says the family does not have renter's insurance, which sucks. She says that we've received so much support. And so much help in the last day. She says, I just can't even put into words how grateful I am for the community that we have. Um, they're not sure where they're going to go. Not sure what they're going to do once the uh, Red Cross help is uh, uh, unavailable to them. But hopefully the community will continue uh, to show their love and support for this family there in Adacula, Georgia, as they did on uh, Saturday night in uh, making sure that every one of those family members got out unharmed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program as well. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll be talking with Alan Gottlieb of the Second Amendment Foundation. You know, they held the uh, Gun Rights Policy Conference over the weekend in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I unfortunately was not able to attend this year, but uh, Bearing Arms was well represented. Bearing Arms contributor John Petrolino winning the Gun Blogger of the Year Award, so congratulations to John. And we're going to get a a full rundown, not only on GRPC, but uh, the many, many court fights of the Second Amendment Foundation is uh, litigating, fighting for your right to keep and bear arms. We'll do that again on the next edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. But I'd encourage you to check out Bearing Arms throughout the day as well today. We've got you covered on all the latest Second Amendment news and information you need to know about. And if you like what you see, I would also encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Just use the promo code GUNRIGHTS when you go to bearingarms.com slash subscribe. You get a significant savings on your discount as well as free content. Well, exclusive content that you're paying for. It's not free, but it is exclusive because your support does matter and it does make a difference. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, ran out of music. Hate it when that happens. Be well, be safe, and be free.